Hello, Monetization Nation. Welcome back to another episode with Scott Abel. In the last episode, we discussed three key aspects for creating great content. In today's episode, we'll continue the discussion of content marketing by discussing content operations or how we can manage and protect our content. Scott will share a strategy for content creation and monetization, and we'll discuss internal and external credibility marketing. Going back to one of your previous points where you talked about the importance to to store and organize the data and, and protect it as one of our most valuable assets. I'll tell you a painful story of how I learned this the hard way. I, uh, I had an employee that quit and I did not have a system like that. And she had all of her files on her computer. We had paid so much money to develop this yep. massive amounts of files. And she deleted, she, she cleared her computer and deleted every single file on her computer and turned in a blank computer to me. Yeah. At the end. And I lost all of the data, you know, tens yeah. and tens, tens of thousands of dollars of stuff that I had paid her to create that, that, uh, that she just deleted. And she thought she had every right to do that. Yeah. And, and this and think whole- about the flip side, think about the flip side. I'm a contractor. Sometimes that's the role I play. And when I do, I often have to sign documents like non-disclosure agreements and things of that nature. I also have to sign a document that says I'll manage that content and give it back to them. That, yep. those, that that's their intellectual property. If that's the case, right? Sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes I'm writing something and they just take it and do what they want with it. And yep. it's not really important, but when they make me sign those agreements, I often ask them, what process do you have in place to back up in case I, what happens if I die? Well, yeah. guess what? In the middle of a contract, I had a brain surgery. I had brain cancer and they removed a tumor. Guess what? No work. Doesn't matter what you say. Doesn't matter what your contract says. Doesn't matter anything. Brain. Yeah, that's I, right. I, if I didn't get the treatment that I did and ended up in a different situation, I wouldn't have intentionally erased the files, but you might not ever have them again because what happens if I just can't remember? because of my brain surgery. Yeah. So that contract right. doesn't protect you either. It's actually engineering your System. content as an yep. operational part of your business instead of a tangential. It's usually treated, content is treated as a necessary evil often. Uh, software developers in particular, um, you know, they're proud of their code. They write in a language that produces a product that people can use. And I'm sure that it's delightful to them when they see that happen. But then the content is thought of as an afterthought. Oh yeah, well, somebody will probably have to write up some instructions. Yeah, uh, probably. (laughs) If it's a brand new product that's going to market and you just invented it, unless you invented a way for it to be super easy to use and that they won't have to know anything, then you're going to have to create some content and it may not be written words. It might be a video. It could be other kinds of content, but you're going to need to create it. And it's also, it's often an afterthought. It also gets caught in this uh, trap, which is a bad place for it to be. It It gets caught in the trap of a necessary expense instead of an opportunity to make revenue. Let me give you an example. You document products. You have to tell people how to use them, how to open, you know, how to open the box, how to set up a product, how to clean it, how to maintain it, how to repair it, maybe how to return it. You know, there's a lot of things people might need to know. That information is already part of the exist. If you have an existing product, people have an experience already. They already had to open it. They already had to try to use it. They already had to try to clean it. They already had to try to repair it or replace it or return it. And if they had a bad experience with you, when they go shopping for another brand, they're going to not think about your brand because they want to get rid of you. Right. And the first thing they do 
is not go read the marketing material. The first thing they do is Google the stuff they hate to see if people who use the new product think the same thing. Does this also, is it also stumbly and difficult to, to, to install? Is it challenging to use? Do they have a, a knowledge center that's more than a dumb chatbot that doesn't know anything and gives you stupid answers the whole time? And so people are actually recognizing that the documentation about a product is being used in the decision-making process about whether or not they should purchase it or not. And so this is a great opportunity for content producers to produce content that's not marketing content, but that shows the value. This company is organized. We have all the information you need in one place. It's available in your language. You can get it on the device you choose. Um, all those kind of things are, are kind of hidden in and baked in the problem with content. And if you can bust that open and make content operational, if you, if you made it, uh, we, we call this content operations or content ops. In development, they call it DevOps, right? So it's just operationalizing content and making it part of your everyday routine, documenting it and governing it and making sure that it, it performs in the way that you want. So if you had to go through and, and make your numbered list of your secrets and strategies to effectively do uh, content operations well, what, what would you tell somebody? I'd say that if you, if, you, if you can't answer, if the answer to this question isn't yes, the, the question is, can you deploy or put to work your, the information you pay people to create or curate from others? Um, can, can you put it to work for any reason that you need today? If a new reason comes up, can you do it? And the answer is, can Nathan do it? It's can the company do it? Because as you pointed out, what happens when Nathan's not there? Yeah. Right, somebody leaves. It's contractor. They were they were the wheel. They were the cog that kept the process going. And then when that person disappears, the knowledge disappears with it. Or when that laptop disappears, the knowledge disappears with it. Yeah. Or when a hacker is able to get into your existing system and make your content disappear. These are things that we don't plan for. And what people generally say is, "Oh, well, we couldn't have known." Well, I'm here to tell you. You totally can know. I know it and I'm telling you and so lots of other people and I'm just waiting. It's going to happen. You're going to see a headline. This is my prediction that can be tweetable. Um, you're going to see a headline where there is a big ass company that wakes up one morning and all their content is gone. I'll tell you a story of this. All that gone. I, I had a consulting client. Um, a friend of mine used to go to a church congregation. Um, I helped him buy a, a domain name. It was a one word domain name. Yeah. I mean, he mortgaged his house, did everything, launched his website. He was on Dell servers yep. and a hacker got in and they deleted his whole website. They did exactly yep. what you're talking about. I mean, he had mortgaged everything to build this business. And, but he, but he wasn't worried because he was paying Dell to do backups. Right. But what he missed is Dell goes in every day and they overwrite the previous day's backup with the new day's backup. So when the hacker got in and deleted the website right. and they had files, they overwrote his backup with nothing. With, with nothing. Exactly. So his backup had nothing in it, his site had nothing, and he lost his whole business overnight because of a hacker deleting his content. And what happens is in, in companies, this isn't really about security. Security just creeps in because of humans, right? Humans who um, are, have malicious behavior can, in fact, not want to steal anything from your company. They may just want to put you out of business. That's right. And it wouldn't, I wouldn't put it, given the state of the world today, I wouldn't put it past somebody who was a little unethical to pay somebody to hack into their competitors yeah. <laughs> and just wipe it out. 
and that or, gets rid of them. Or if they have a different political view than you have, right? There's lots right. of reasons why someone might want you gone. Exactly. And so it's not so much about security as it is. Do you think about the life cycle of your content? How, you know, where it starts with an idea, right? Somebody first has to say, oh, we should probably do that. We should probably uh, make a video that explains how our product works or we should do whatever. And then somebody else says, okay, great. Let's give that to so-and-so. And then they're going to figure out how to do that. And so what happens is there's lots of these ideas throughout your enterprise all day long. The bigger your company, the more ideas there are. And then there are more people assigned to go figure out how to do it. None of those people work together. <laughs> so they're all figuring out how to do it a different way in every single department. And even if they learn from another department, they're just copying whatever the other department's doing oftentimes. And then they'll make one or two tweaks because their department is different. So every one of those differences introduces a new variable that we have to keep track of when you try to manage the whole company. If each department, for example, it is not uncommon for a big company to have eight or 10 content management systems from different companies. Why? Yeah, that's right. There are some very good reasons in each department why every once in a while you need something different. But the different products, they exist not to be different. I mean, they, they exist to be differentiated from their competitors, but they actually have to play in a symbiotic relationship with other tools. So most products today connect to others, right? All of our devices in our house connect. Your light bulb can connect to your speaker, your speaker to your watch, your watch to your phone, you know? And all this is made possible because people understand that that information has to be exchanged, interchanged between two devices, just like two people do. And, and so we have to equip our companies with kind of the mentality of rethinking how content is produced, which also means you have to rethink how it's maintained, how it's archived and how it's destroyed or how it's rescued. When you said that word backup, I just find that humorous because as soon as somebody says, I'll, I'll bring this up at a conference and somebody will raise their hand and they'll say, well, that's why we have backups. And I go, okay, when was the last time you woke up, went to work, no contents there, whole website's gone, everything's gone and you push your button back up and what happens? That's not how it works. A backup yeah. is a recording of some stuff. It does not magically put it back. That's Did right. you Have you ever had to migrate from a, from a recorded version of your life and put it back into where it's supposed to be. And I had once with one of my other businesses where a hacker did come in and delete one of my websites and the backup that we thought was a backup didn't have all the data in it. And a lot of the stuff we thought was a backup was really old, was more than six months old. And so we had yep. lost a lot of the new stuff. So, so even though you think you have a backup, you probably don't have what you think you have. Correct. And you, you don't have to think about this as a security problem only. It's a productivity and efficiency problem. For example, if, you're, if your content is created by different human beings, and the chances are very great the larger your company gets, that even if they land on a web page, multiple people might have been involved in writing or rewriting or editing or proofreading those words. And then if you translate, because you're trying to go to a different country or speak to people in a different language, you also encounter more additional changes. Those things all have to be managed as well. And they need to be managed in a repeatable, systematic way. They can't be the employee or the contractor that's the best person because he or she knows how to do it better than you and I do. That's yep. nice, but it can't rest on them. It's a mistake to do that because you don't have the ability to come back later. And, and, and you, you know, it's like not for, there's not very much forgiveness yep. in making that mistake, right? You couldn't say, oh, undo. Uh, you know, because there's an undo button on your computer, but is there undo hacker? 
Yeah. No. Right. <laughs> no, that's not in there, and it and, needs to be. And it and think of the the effect on the company for lack of credibility. You know, for for the revenue that can be lost. For the the other, yeah, the lawsuits that can come from it. There, there's the negative press. There's so much negativity that can come from the company by not handling that correctly. Yeah. And then you get the, you know, the pain in the ass people. They're not really trying to um, wipe out your content. They are trying to embarrass you. Um, that happens a lot with politicians. There were several politicians that woke up and found their website basically redirecting people to their competitors. <laughs> Yeah. website and it was it, that to me that's funny because that just shows you the naive how naive um some folks are they just think because they have a password like oh there's a password you know it's not like i just left that website up there with no password i'm like okay if somebody really wanted to get in there your little password is not going to stop them yeah. they're going to get in there because they're good at what they do and you're not a specialist so i guess part of the other message is hire content specialists to talk about what it is that you want your content to be able to do one of the things i've learned is that um, and I didn't learn this. Um, I learned this from other people. So there are many, many, many smart people in the world that uh, contributed to this idea that I had, which is that uh, if you take your content and you treat it like a business asset, and then you school everybody in your organization to behave in a way that produces content more like a factory, you're, you immediately get the cr uh, criticism that you're trying to take away my creativity. This is the big challenge. And then so organizations who have a HR message, we value our employees and uh, we, we can't wait for ideas to bubble up from the inside. That may be or maybe not true. <laughs> uh, but when they hear that, they sometimes say they had a great idea, we let them run with it. And it's like, that's great, except for then you made it how you do business every day. And so once you make it how you do business every day, it needs to be documented and governed and it needs to happen on a repeatable basis the same way, right? Because if Nathan gets a new opportunity and leaves your company, and Scott gets the, is the new hire. You want to be able to drop a person right into that role, just like you would at a fast food thing, a fast food joint, right? Like McDonald's has a process. If they lose the cashier, a new cashier comes, they train her the exact same thing. There's none of this. The previous cashier used to do it differently. So we don't know where that is. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. Like we lost the cheeseburger on the, <laughs> we don't know. Where that. <laughs> You would never do that and it wouldn't be acceptable, but it's totally acceptable in, in the content world. So I had this um, kind of aha moment that leaders don't care about any of this. Leaders of companies care about building capability. What, so if you go and say, I want to fix our content problem, what they hear is, okay, blah, 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 some kind of content problem. How much is it going to cost and why would I want to do that if you get that far? I don't think you normally do. I think that if you went in and you said, look, I read the annual report to shareholders and you told them that we were going to work on uh, customer experience this year because we got a negative JD Power um, analysis, you know, and score last year in the customer experience area. And we want the investors to continue giving us money. So you promised them that we were going to allocate money to take care of this customer experience problem. Would, would, would knowing that the content is mostly responsible for these customer complaints be useful to you as a leader? And if I could develop a capability where that content would be useful to people that they wouldn't need to call the support center, would that help you? And what the leader hears is that you're building a capability to get rid of the one problem that he already has and has told the investors he's going to invest and get rid of. And that may be a she or a he, by the way, right. the, the leaders. Um, but I think you get the point there, right? It's about turning the con respecting content like you would anything else and treating it in the way you do all the other things that you value to run your company. 
what is your best monetization secret or strategy? My best monetization secret and score strategy, and actually it's a secret strategy, is to <laughs> rely on other people to help you make your money. So if you, for example, as a thought leader, I could charge people to listen to me, or I could bring 45 people together and charge people to listen to 45 people. And I'm the guy that orchestrated it. So, so you it, get more credibility from it and you're yeah. a higher quality product and service that you're selling. Yes. And to be honest, you don't have to be an expert. I'm not, I'm not encouraging non-expertise, but you don't have to be the expert to be the expert coordinator. You yeah, can coordinate right. and bring people together. So I'm kind of a super connector instigator. I stand up and say, why on earth do I invite a bunch of information developers, people who get paid to create content to hear a neuroscientist speak? Or why do I have a nightclub DJ from Greece on the stage doing a live video mashup? Because those concepts are what I'm trying to get people to understand, right? So I bring them together and people say, wow, he must be super good at what he does because look at all these people. So even if you weren't good at what you did, <laughs> you would have a perception, an increased likelihood of being elevated as important. And you know, yeah. it's not important to me to be recognized in that way, but when it happens and then you can turn it into money, that's yeah. important. So That's for example, I, I also published a series of books that I, um, my gimmick was um, the, the, the series of books is called the language of, and the last word that would come after of is a discipline in the information management industry. So the language of content strategy, right, is a book. I invited 52 experts each to define one term and explain why somebody would need to know what that term means if they're an information management professional. And each person that contributed to the book had a two-page spread. They had their information, their bio, what they were good at, their specialty, the word that they were gonna talk about, they defined it, and then they told you what it means. When I published the book, 52 terms, I published them on the web once a week, 52 weeks in a year. I also mm -hmm. published the term and the definitions as a deck of flashcards, 52 cards in a deck of cards. See where I'm going? Yeah. So that gimmick was to not to sell the book. It was to say, look, content strategy is a thing. I got 52 people to tell you some useful stuff. And each one of them told you exactly the same amount of information. They only had one or two sentences to write the, um, the definition of the word that they were defining. And they had exactly 250 words to write why. And if they wrote more than that, we just deleted some of the words. And if they said they couldn't do it, then we deleted them from the book because I wanted it to be quick and dirty in a way to recognize people. So I created the book and it had 52 co-contributors, but really what it had was 52 evangelists for that book yeah. because you can't wait to tell people that you're featured in this book. And by the way, it was super easy for you to do because you only had to write one definition and then a 250 word essay. You didn't have to write a book. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it, not to diminish the value of 250 words. There were people who said, wow, like I'm an expert in this topic and it's really difficult to say everything I want to in 250 words. And I'm like, that's why I'm not asking you to say everything you want to. I'm asking you to only say two things. What is this word that is, right? So the, the sentence yep. should start off with this word is, right? <laughs> it should tell you yep. like a, a computer is, and then you should tell them what a computer is. And then the question is, why do they need to know that? Not what's the ROI, but see, they immediately jump to that because they want to convince you. 
and I, and I wanted to I wanted to use this monetization scheme to get as many people as possible recognized but affiliated with my brand. And I didn't want to copycat everybody else and do one of those cheesy. Here's we asked everybody the same question and we put them all in an infographic and shoved it out the door because I didn't think it was as valuable as setting up a web page where people could discuss with the author of the term whether they agreed with his or her definition. Yeah. That also created something uh, by it was incidental to my efforts. So I created a deck of cards right from the vocabulary words, 52 words. And on each uh, each side, there was a word and the other side was a definition. But I recognized that I also created a directory of people so I could have 52 consultants like baseball cards on one side could be their face. On the other side would be their stats. All from the same book. All the content I had was exactly the same. I didn't have to go do more stuff. I just collected all the information once. And because I know how to structure it and make it machine processable, I was able to produce a book, a website, audiobook, uh, uh, ebook, um, flashcards, all from a single source of content with relatively little work after the initial structuring and strategy work was done, which is the painful part at the beginning that requires brain power and sometimes money. One of the tectonic shifts we talk a lot about that I think is one of the biggest tectonic shifts where businesses are dealing with today is called credibility marketing. So basically businesses used to buy a bunch of advertising and then tell the world how awesome they were. Right. And that model just doesn't work anymore. Businesses are having to find much more credible sources through review sites and, and through customer sure. testimonials and, and through word of mouth marketing and through influencers. You know, there's lots of ways that they're doing it, but they've got to communicate in much more credible ways. What credibility marketing have you seen? What stories or secrets or advice could you share with us about credibility marketing? The, the one thing I can say, there's two things. I, there's two things. I just said one, but there's two. One is internal. Internally, inside of companies, it's important to find the people who are good storytellers, who are, who are good at being authentic and less about being repeating the company line, right? What we need are people who are believable, who will be able to relate to the ac actual customers that we're trying to attract or maintain uh, their loyalty. And so we need to sound authentic inside, right? It's not enough to like just throw up a video from a YouTuber and go, see, look, we're authentic. We got a real person. He loves our product. Yeah, that's nice, but it's part of a bigger picture, right? You have to be more transparent. You have to be more authentic. You have to tell stories. So the second thing I would say is externally, if you bring in an expert, what experts usually do, and you've probably seen conference presentations, it's very common at a conference presentation to see best practices for X, Y, and Z. That's good. But what's better is and more authentic and more believable is what not to do. The 10 things, the 10 mistakes we yeah. made that you shouldn't make. And you know what? Brands don't like to say that because then they're perceived as they made a mistake. And I'm like, yeah, but you make them every day. Everybody knows it. Why are you pretending that this isn't a thing? Of course you make mistakes. Just get out there and say them. Now you may not want to disclose the big mistake that's going to get you lawsuit, but you could say that you've learned from your lessons in the past. And here's the thing. Um, companies that try to tackle content strategy. I've worked, at, I've worked for a uh, company who has tried three times to adopt a content strategy and wasted millions and millions of dollars in the process, but mostly because they do not recognize this is a change management problem. I can design whatever great system that you, know, you need and we could define people to make it work in exactly the way you want. But if you can't get your people to follow the rules or if you can't get your people to want to do it, then you have a challenge that technology can't solve. Yeah. 
right? It's a, it's a people problem. So I think one of the best things we could do is be open about the problems and tell people, Hey, this is something I made a mistake about, you know, and I, and I want to um, tell you what I learned from it. Think about how valuable that is. You go to your boss and then they say, well, what could go wrong? Oh yeah. Three or four things. He did a presentation on it. He was very open. He shared like, these are the danger zones. Don't go near these danger zones, but instead everybody likes to accentuate the positive. Yeah. So it's always about the ROI. And, 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 and by the way, they also use words that don't seem to be talking to people. When you say your organization, you're not saying, Nathan, this is a benefit to you. You're saying, Nathan, that company that pays you, maybe you can convince them to buy our product so they can get a benefit. Well, if you're talking to an individual human being who, by the way, might've had their two friends laid off last week by that organization, they may not think of that. They, they may not care that that organization is getting a benefit at the moment. Really what they want to know is how is it impacting me? Does it make my job easier? Does it, will it, will it, will it bring me skills that will make me more marketable when I leave this job? Thank you so much, Scott, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, we need to know what process we have in place to back our content up in case something unexpected happens. Number two, we can use content operations or content ops to put content into use and make it part of our everyday routine by documenting it and governing it and making sure it performs in the way we want. Number three, we need to be able to answer yes to this question. Can the company deploy or put to work the information you pay people to create or curate from others for any reason today? Number four, even though we think we have a backup, we probably don't have what we think we have. So we need to double check our backups to ensure we're prepared for anything. Number five, we can gather contributors to make content, gain credibility, and create a higher quality product. Number six, we need to focus on both the internal and external sides of credibility marketing. To learn more about or connect with Scott, you can find him on LinkedIn or visit his website at thecontentwrangler.com. And you can find links to both of those sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get my free ebook about passion marketing and learn how to become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. And if you've received value from this episode, I'd be very grateful if you commented on, liked, or shared it. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in your content operations. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.